0: 19-year-old Kathleen Hill was just over one month into life as a newlywed, when an unexpected knock on the door changed everything. Within hours, she was in a car heading toward the home she had just left a few weeks earlier, but the family she had left behind wouldn't be there when she returned. All but one member of her family had been annihilated in a crime that still stands as one of the worst random mass murders in Canadian history. And she had no clue who the sole survivor was. This is the Shell Lake Massacre. (music) You're listening to Episode 3 The Last of the Petersons. I'm your host, Brittany Cafe. This episode contains depictions of violence and other content that may be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Kathy Hill hugged her family goodbye for the last time on July 9, 1967, just two days after her wedding. She set off with her new husband, Lee, to start a life together in Chetwin, British Columbia, a logging community in the northeastern part of the province. They had found a place to rent and were starting to settle into their new routine. They didn't have a phone in their new home, and there was no phone at the Peterson farm, so Kathy wasn't able to call her family after she left Saskatchewan. She did, however, send mail. She remembers sending a birthday card to her dad, Jim, on July 16th, and to her mom, Evelyn, on July 23rd. Jim had turned 47 and Evelyn 42. Early on August 16th, 1967, there was a knock at the door of Kathy's new home. Lee's aunt and his brother, Ken, stood in the doorway and they came bearing the most grim news imaginable.
1: Lee's mom and dad had phoned up to her sister. His mom's sister lived just up north at Hudson Hope and she got a phone call so she came down to tell us.
0: Lee's aunt told Kathy that her parents and siblings had been shot to death in their own home. It had taken a full day for the news of what had happened to the Petersons to make it to Kathy, by no fault of anyone in particular. The utter chaos and lack of phones in the area had made it challenging for anyone to get in contact with her. Word hadn't yet made it to them that one child had survived. Kathy hurriedly packed her things, disbelief swirling in her mind along with memories of her family. She thought of her hard-working, loving dad, Jim. Her quiet, gentle mom, Evelyn. She thought of Jean. Of Mary, Dorothy, Pearl, William, Phyllis, Colin, Larry. Her family was gone. Kathy and Lee packed their things into a vehicle, and with Lee's brother Ken driving, they began their journey back home. As they drove, they kept the radio on constantly, hoping to learn more details about what had occurred. That's how Kathy found out that one of her siblings was still
1: alive. I just remember wanting to know who was left, and nobody knew. He had no idea until we got back to Saskatchewan which one of the kids was left. We had the radio on and in the car all the time, but we didn't really hear any more than that there was a mass murderer and one survivor. That's all we ever heard. The drive to Shell Lake from Chetwin
0: took nearly 16 hours. It was a long, quiet drive with Kathy, Lee, and Ken all lost in their own thoughts. Hoping to hear more information through the radio, and praying that they would wake up from this living nightmare. As they approached the home they had left just over a month before, they encountered numerous check stops that the Royal Canadian Mounted Police had set up along roadways. Police were stopping every single vehicle in the area and questioning the occupants. When they finally made it back to Shell Lake, they immediately headed to Lee's parents' home. They were told that the surviving child was with Kathy's aunt and uncle, so they made the short drive to the Helgerton farm. That's where Kathy learned that four-year-old Phyllis was the sole survivor of the Shell Lake
1: massacre. The reunion was a blur for Kathy. I don't really remember that part. I just remember grabbing a hold of her and hanging on.
0: The RCMP investigation into the murders was still in the very beginning stages. No motive had been determined, and there were concerns that the killer may return and try to harm the two girls. So an officer was assigned to guard the last two members of the Peterson family.
1: Phyllis came with us back to Lee's mom and dad's house, and then the RCMP actually had somebody sit in the house with us. And I remember the the poor guy that was left sitting in the house with us to protect us, was my same age as I am, or same age as I was. He was just 19, 20 years old. That's all he was.
0: The magnitude of this crime completely shook the community of Shell Lake and everyone in it. Kathy was in a state of disbelief, going through the motions and doing what needed to be done in the moment, but unable to fully grasp the immensity of what was happening.
1: It doesn't sink in. I know I had the minister come and try and tell me that he had seen them and they all looked so peaceful, and it still just didn't. I think I was numb. didn't really think anything.
0: As the RCMP investigation progressed, they struggled to determine a motive. They questioned dozens of people in the Shell Lake area about Jim Peterson's past, but there didn't seem to be a soul who would have had a reason to hold a grudge against him. Kathy was interviewed by the police numerous times in the days that followed.
1: They'd ask who was, would be mad at your dad and, and those kinds of things. Well, I had no idea. And I know that a lot of the neighbors were taught, interviewed and everything, but there was no rhyme or reason to it. Like, there was just nothing.
0: Many homes in the area didn't have phones. Some didn't even have televisions yet. But news of what had happened to the Petersons still managed to get out. News of the killings and the search for the killer was being broadcast far and wide, and the story spread like wildfire by word of mouth.
1: Everything was on the radio. And everybody had a radio on. And of course, the telephone office was in Shell Lake. And once Wilder got down there and phoned for the RCMP, the telephone operator knew what was going on and she pretty much let everybody know.
0: With word spreading so quickly around the community and across the entire country with very few details available from police, rumors began to spread right alongside the news of what had happened to the Petersons. There was speculation that the death of the family was the result of a murder-suicide. Some claimed that the killer had to have been a jilted boyfriend of one of the Elder Peterson daughters, and there were multiple reports in the first few days of the investigation that a suspect had been arrested, which police were quick to deny. Kathy had achieved an instant and very much unwanted celebrity status because of her close proximity to this crime. Her face and the face of her four-year-old sister were splashed across the front page of papers across the entire country. Reporters followed her everywhere she went, hoping to get a headline-making quote.
1: It seemed like every time we'd come back to these mother's from wherever we were, there'd be a reporter standing there at the door trying to grab us and wanting answers and... And I don't know how many times I was interviewed, and none of what I said actually made it into the papers. They put their own spin on everything.
0: Setting aside the rumors that were swirling around, the truth of what had happened within the Peterson home was horrific and left everyone in the area in an intense state of fear. Up until this point, people in Shell Lake had felt safe in their homes. The brutality of the massacre had completely robbed the community of any sense of security. The wide open prairies surrounding homes now left residents feeling exposed and vulnerable. The forest that had once felt like a secure haven suddenly seemed dark and foreboding. Nowhere and no one felt safe.
1: Everybody was terrified. And I mean up until then, nobody even locked their door and all of a sudden everybody was locking their door and they were sitting up with a gun in their hand. Days went
0: by and still no suspect had been arrested. Police worked diligently to recover as much evidence from the Peterson home as possible. Bullets had been cut from various sections of the blood splattered walls. Pieces of linoleum, stained deep red, were also cut out and taken into evidence. Once the house had been processed, the home that had once been full of life was abandoned. Photos of the scene from old newspaper clippings collected over the years by Marjorie Seminar, neighbour to the Petersons, show haunting reminders of the family who had once called this crime scene home. Jim's medals from his time in the war sat on a dresser in the bedroom, feet away from the window that Evelyn had climbed out of with the baby in an attempt to escape. In the bedroom just off the living room, where the children had been killed, pictures cut from magazines covered the rose-coloured walls. Mick Jagger, the animals, the cast of the TV show Bonanza now sprayed with blood. A stark reminder of who these victims had been. They were just kids. They had been just like any other children in the area at the time. And now, because of a senseless, violent act, they were dead. The blood of the Petersons covered the beds, the walls, floors, ceiling, It seemed as though no surface in the home had escaped the massacre unscathed. Family members went into the home to remove as much of it as they could.
1: Lee's dad and my uncles, and I think my aunts too, they went in and cleaned everything up. They took all the bedding and everything out and burned it and basically cleaned the house up. Tore strips off the floor and walls and... So when I went in, all I saw was uh, fingerprint dust and that sort of thing in there. Everything else was gone.
0: Kathy was tasked with returning to her family's home to retrieve any belongings she wanted to keep. Any items she chose to leave behind would be sold in an auction sale in the months to come. It seemed like a nearly insurmountable task, but Kathy was able to muster the strength to drive down the driveway toward the Peterson Farm walk up to the front door and turn the knob. She stood looking into the home of her youth, but it didn't feel like home anymore.
1: I was supposed to take things out. Dad had an old grandma phone that grandma had given him. And uh, I decided, no, I'm not leaving that to go on a sale. But it's really hard to take that stuff out because I'm taking things away from my mom and dad. And uh, the TV, I decided I was going to take that, so Phyllis had a TV to watch. Otherwise, I don't know if I'd even have done that. It wasn't easy, because I had to go in the house and find clothes for her. And I finally gave up and just went and bought clothes. So, and, uh, and a lot of the things there, I mean, yeah, there was keepsakes and what have you that I did take, but it was really hard to take anything out. The reality that
0: Jim, Evelyn, and the majority of their children were dead was difficult to accept for every person who was close to the family. All of Kathy's grandparents were still alive at the time. On the day of the massacre, the police had made the decision to bring Frederick and Martha Peterson, as well as Norman and Martha Finlayson, to the hospital in Shellbrook before telling them what had happened. There were concerns that one of them may have a heart attack or some other medical event after hearing the shocking news. Frederick Peterson was a stoic man, but the loss of his only son was incredibly hard on him.
1: And as my grandfather said to me at one point, he said, and all the boys, he said, the end of an era. And to them, at that time, it was important to have somebody to carry on the name.
0: With no boys left to carry on the family name, Kathy and Phyllis were the very last of the Petersons. On August 19, 1967, four days after their murder, nine members of the Peterson family were laid to rest in the Shell Lake Cemetery. It's estimated that well over 1,500 people attended the service.
1: We had the funeral right at the cemetery because there was nowhere else it was going to hold everybody. I don't know how many people were there, I have no idea, but the whole town was, and all the friends and relatives and what have you. That's a lot of people. They had benches set up for us to sit on, like my aunts and uncles and Lee and I. And I think Lee's mom and dad, but everybody else was just standing. I don't know that I even took any of it in. I remember sitting there, but other than that, nothing. I know we got one of the neighbor women to stay with Phyllis and some of the younger kids. Because I said, she doesn't need to be there.
0: Gail Davidson, who grew up right across the highway from the Petersons, remembers the day of the funeral like it was yesterday. I remember at the funeral, like, Kathy's a pretty tough woman. Um, she didn't cry. <laughs> like she was just so staunch. And it was so... Uh, well, obviously, Phyllis didn't come to the funeral. Like, it was just Kathy, but she didn't cry. And she just looked so...
1: Well, she was probably in such... Totally shock.
0: in shock. But, you know, have you have all these coffins, like... It was like a mass of coffins. Uh, It was just an overwhelming scene. The Royal Canadian Legion provided a guard of honour and Jim Peterson's casket was draped with a Canadian flag. Members of the Legion saluted Jim's casket as a bugler sounded the last post. Eight caskets sat on timbers above one large grave, neatly arranged in two rows. It had been decided that baby Larry would be laid to rest in the arms of his mother, Evelyn, the same way they had died just days earlier. A bouquet of roses sat atop the casket containing the bodies of Evelyn and Larry and a single red rose was laid atop each child. One by one, the caskets were lowered into the grave and covered with dirt. Jim, Evelyn, and Larry, Jean, just 17 years old, 13 year old Mary. Dorothy, 11. Pearl, nine years old. Five-year-old, William. Colin, only three years old. Reporter Ron Shore Voice was at the funeral. And he vividly remembers how he felt after witnessing the burial of nine members of the Peterson family.
1: It was really something to attend. And I I was taking it pretty good up until then. But on the way home, my home is Wauka, so I drove back home right after the service at the cemetery. And after filing a report, of course. Then it kind of hit me and it still does all
0: but two members of Jim Peterson's family were dead and buried and their killer was still free but not for long (music) hours after the funeral another life-changing knock on the door came this time at Kathy's mother and father-in-law's home it was the RCMP stopping in to let Kathy know that the person who was believed to have murdered nearly her entire family in cold blood was in police custody. Victor Ernest Hoffman was officially under arrest. You've been listening to The Shell Lake Massacre, a Rolco Radio production. This show was researched, written... Produced and hosted by me, Brittany Cafe. Supervising Producers Murray Wood and Sarah Mills. Story Consultant Craig Siliphant. Production Support from Dallas Dole. Graphic Design by Jennifer Losey with Rolko Creative Strategies. Special thanks to Aaron McNutt and John Gormley.